Hey, Frenzy Gamers, it's Frenchie, and welcome to the Frenchie Plays Games podcast. You know, last night I had a dream that I was an identical twin, and I woke up this morning beside myself. Hey, friends and gamers, welcome to Frenchie Plays Games. This is the 20th episode of the podcast, and if you're watching it on a video, then this is the 20th episode of the podcast in multiple video forms. Anyway, watch my channel, you'll figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out myself as I go. I hope you're well. I hope you're doing very, very good and had a good weekend. It is March 13th right now. We are in the middle of March 2023 and just came back. From a very good, very fast for me, very short for me weekend at Dice Tower West, which will be most of what I'll be talking about during the during the episode here. But I had just a little bit of sleep, but I've got a second win. And lucky for you, here I am doing this podcast. I figure I might wait a day or two, but I might as well knock it out because I've got a busy week ahead of me. So I uh, really want to get you up to speed with the goings on at Dice Tower West, how it was for 2023. Talk a little bit about some games that have come in games I've played, games I've backed, some things I'm looking at, and uh, really just uh, have a more chilling and board game related podcast. So let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, Frenchie is cutting to the chase, not wasting any time with formalities. Hey, I told you I only had a few hours sleep last night. So no, I got in real uh, late last night, actually early in the morning. It's I'm recording this at eight o'clock at night. Uh, on Monday the 13th, and I got home about 1.30 in the morning this morning from a late flight out of Vegas for Dice Tower West, uh, about a two-hour flight, and got home safe and sound, but, uh, you know, I had a lot of stuff to do for work, so I just uh, woke up early and ground right through it and got a jump on the week, but I uh, really wanted to get this done, too, because of the week that I have ahead of me. wanted to make sure that I got some content out, and I gave you a little bit of peek as to what's going on. So let me start off a little bit by just talking about, I really haven't checked too much in board game hobby with news or updates. So I'm going to kind of punt that this time around and get into a little more of really the the past weekend. And I think I'm going to need a cup of coffee before we wrap up this, uh, this episode here. And, uh, so talk about some games that I've really dove into. I did have a really great time at Dice Tower West. It's uh, always a great experience. If you have never been to a Dice Tower event, I would say definitely go. If you've never been to a board game convention, I would say definitely go. Great games, even greater people. And, you know, what better way to spend your uh, vacation or just a couple of days off to uh, go and attend an event, have fun, and just immerse yourself into the hobby and into the board game community. So I'm going to talk about just about three games that I'm looking at that I have uh, kickstarted, backed on Kickstarter. And then next episode, I'll be getting into a little bit more of what I'm looking at, what's on the horizon. But uh, Frenchie's tired. I don't have time to dive into too much there. Uh, I'm going to go a lot of this is going to be off the top of my mind, a little stream of conscious today. And I've got about six games that came in. So I want to talk real briefly. I've not been able to crack them open. Uh, but I uh, want to just tell you a little bit about what's coming in and hopefully I can get them to the table in the next few weeks. Talk about the Dice Tower. 
And then uh, talk about the uh, Dice Tower West Convention, excuse me. Talk about the games I played, particularly. I have uh, less than half that I want to spend some time on. I'm going to talk about uh, what I'm, I'm going to consider my game of the week and give you a little review of the game Lacrimosa, which I played uh, my last game that I played at the con. So give you a little bit of my thoughts and uh, what I feel about the game overall. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right, so first game I'm going to talk about is a game that was, uh, well, I would say there's always a game that kind of, to me, not just kicks off the new year, we're into the middle of March already, but really kicks it up into, hey, this was the biggest game so far this year, kind of setting a bar. And this game had 8,500 backers on Kickstarter, raised uh, 1.6 million Canadian money uh, in Kickstarter. So convert that over to the currency of your choice where you live. Uh, but definitely uh, the best Kickstarter board game for 2023 and probably the best one in the last six months. So this was a game by OOM Games, OOM OOMM games and Frenchie told you I only got a couple of hours sleep last night and coffee is not going to be an option for me right now. So you're going to have fun watching me and listening to me. OOMM games, which is out of my mind games. And this game is Stone Saga. So Stone Saga, whew, going to be a long one, folks. Uh, Stone Saga uh, basically is a cooperative campaign style game. Uh, it's a crafting board game in which you are in a uh, world shaped by your choices, designed by uh, the designers for Star Wars Legion, Legend of Five Rings RPG, and Star Wars Second Edition. And yes, my cheat sheet is Board Game Geek today, but I'd rather give you that than uh, go off the top of my head. Um, cooperative survival game uh, with uh, legacy components and also has a solitaire solo mode. Hopefully that is good. But this was a really hyped up game. And a game that just really resonated with people. Um, you know, I think co-op and storytelling and campaign games tend to be really hot right now and really popular. There was something about this game that resonated with a lot. Now, for me, this is not a game that I'm going to go ahead and jump on because I'm not necessarily going to always go with the games that are popular. Uh, you know, this game to me may or may not fit but i wanted to take the splurge to see what it was i did not back an all-in but i backed at a decent level but i do like games that have um you know exploration i do like games that have uh, you know looking at some of the hex styles here i'm just a sucker for maps i love maps games that have that there's dice in here and a lot of cool things obviously card and crafting and uh, having those cooperative elements so Looking forward to see this get not only, well, it's been fulfilled, but go ahead and get it fulfilled from a production standpoint and a shipping standpoint, uh, however that goes over the next year. So that right now is the uh, biggest game for 2023 on Kickstarter, and that was Stone Saga by OOMM, Out of My Mind Games. Man, French has got to be out of his mind trying to do this on a couple of hours sleep. All right, here we go. The next two will be much simpler for me. The next two are games five and six in the Stefan Feld City Collection published by Queen Games. Now, these games are respectively Cusco and Vienna. Now, Cusco and Vienna are re-implementations of two games that I have on my shelf that, shamefully, I have not got to the table. Stefan Feld is one of my favorite designers. I'd say he's in my top three or four of all time. There's something about his games that I particularly like, but uh, I have these two games and just have not been able to play them. If I've been playing games, it's been some of his more recent stuff for the classics like Castles of Burgundy and Bruges. 
So Cusco is a uh, re-implementation of Bora Bora, which is going to be set more in a, let me see, it looks like this is a uh, Mayan style setting, uh, if I, if the looks of it. So um, yeah, the, the city of Cusco. So that game is going to just be a re-implementation of Bora Bora. I do not have too much of the details. I do not have the Kickstarter page up here because when I saw it, I'm like, well, I've got the first four. I like the first four. I'm going ahead with the next two. They could be set in, you know, the little, the, the ha village of Hamlet for all I care. Those of you who play role-playing games will get that. So uh, the re-implementation of Boris Kuzco, the re-implementation that is resulting in Vienna uh, was the original game of La Isla. La Isla is one of a smaller box game that uh, Stefan Felt put out about 10 years ago. And this is going to be set again, another game that's set in European. So this will be Marrakesh set in the Middle East, Cusco set in South America. Uh, you have uh, New York City that was set in, uh, obviously, the States. And then you have three that are set in uh, Europe with Vienna being the latest one and Amsterdam and Hamburg being the other two. And I will be talking about Amsterdam later on as well. So I'm looking forward to these. You know, I like Queen Games production as far as the color and the overall production. They The, the ones they've been putting out are pretty good. But also I have that love-hate relationship where Queen Games sometimes doesn't do it for me. Some of that is just how the game is and how it's designed. But they do a solid job as far as putting out the failed games and doing everything necessary to bring those games to life. You know, Marrakesh was a very colorful game. Uh, Amsterdam, Hamburg, New York City, very colorful games. So I would imagine these games fit a very good aesthetic for what they are from Queen Games and the fact that they're Euro games. But those are the three that I have just recently backed. So not a whole lot for this week, but felt it was just kind of interesting to go on. Definitely next week there'll be more ones that are backed. And I'll have a little more in-depth analysis for you as well. And hopefully a proper night's sleep behind me to give that some left. So those are the games that Frenchie has uh, backed. And so I'm going to kind of transition here in this segment a little bit on games that I have just recently got in. Uh, and a couple that I have got to the table, but most of them I have not. So the first game that I just recently got in, and most of these games I've got in either through an online uh, game store or a local game store here. Uh, the first game that I want to mention is, and if I'm pronouncing this right, it's pronounced Lofoten, L-O-F-O-T-E-N. This was published by Pearl Games here in the States. And it's a game in which you are taking your Viking longships, going to the market, and being able to go ahead and purchase different goods. It's a two-player only game. And you actually have these wheels that you will turn. And based on how they turn, you can turn them counterclockwise or clockwise, a little bit of based on the position on the map be able to put tiles on there and then once the ship turns and the tile spacing you can go ahead and bear that off uh, looked at the rules it seems like a very interesting game a neat little game i don't think it's going to be adept i don't think it's going to resonate nearly to the degree that a two-player game like targi or maybe even patchwork would but i definitely think it's a game that looks fun looks like it's going to be enjoyable i've seen some people highlight it on social media so now it's up for frenchy to go ahead and test the waters with that uh, but again, a quick two-player game is always good, and that's one of the things about those types of games is you might have the beginning or the end of a game group, or even at a con that I just went to, you could just have a quick two-player game that just gets a filler while other gamers are wrapping up their game or getting to wherever you are. So those games fit very nicely, and sometimes they're just that filler game, and I think this one will be a solid one. It's rated, uh, It's got a 7.4. 
average rating here on Board Game Geek. So decent game in its own right. So that is Lofoten from Pearl Games. Okay, uh, next one here I got in is uh, the card game of a big epic game that I truly love and adore and one of my all-time favorite games. I love War of the Ring. You've heard me mention it many times. Now, uh, Ari's Games has put out War of the Ring, the card game. So this is a card game, I wouldn't say version of War of the Ring, but again, it is card game version of War of the Ring, maybe not the board game, but a card game version of that theme of the setting for the War of the Ring. Uh, and War of the Ring, obviously, is Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, but particularly Fellowship of the Ring and everything around those books or the movies, if you saw them. And again, by the same publisher from the War of the Ring board game. Now, this game seems to be a two-player to four-player game. I would imagine that two players would probably be the best. I'm not sure how it plays four-player. Again, just barely received it. Uh, the artwork is very much the same as the artwork they have in the prior uh, board game version. So I like that. I like that artwork. And Tolkien artwork, just uh, no matter if it's a game or a book, or even movie, just a lot of the visualization of the world of Tolkien uh, is just varied. And it's all really good for some reason. There's just something about artists and how they are able to uh, bring that to life that have just been fantastic. And so I'm glad to see that the artwork is still very much the same. Uh, and some of it's probably repurposed or very much the same from that commissioned artwork that they had in the board game. But this is a game that now it seems like it plays a little long. And when I got the copy, picked it up, I was surprised how light it is. But, you know, I am not expecting that that's going to be a negative. I think that the game being light, meaning as far as weight, there was like, oh, there should be a little more game here. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a deterrent. Because to me, I would imagine anything that's epic like that, if you have enough cards, if there's enough, if there's enough interaction with the cards, should be a game that has a high amount of replayability and be able to be satisfying. And if you just are a Lord of the Rings nut, you'll play anything. And if you are not a Lord of the Rings nut, I think I my suspicion is that this game is going to be a solid game. Now, currently it's 8.0 for an average rating on BoardGameGeek with... Uh, I don't know how many ratings there are on there. Uh, I'm trying to look. 755 ratings, 191 comments, and uh, already near the top 2,000 on Board Game Geek. Uh, wait till my next episode. We'll be talking about the Board Game Geek ratings just a little bit when I've had time to do some homework. So uh, that's a game that Frenchie got in, and I'm pretty stoked to have that. And shoot, even if I never play it, uh, I've got another you know Lord of the Ring games in my in my collection. Okay, next game. I'm embarrassed on this next game only because I pronounced it and even spelled it wrong. And uh, somebody commented on my YouTube channel, and I appreciate, uh, I can't remember if it's Greg or Jeff or whatever, appreciate him saying that, and I even answered wrong too. And I even backed this game with him thinking in my mind. And uh, so this game is Mall Peak, M-A-U-L Peak. For some reason, Frenchie got it, that it was Maui Peak, because I thought that L was an I, I'm thinking it's got a Hawaiian theme or whatever. I have no idea. Uh, just one of those reflect action. Now, this is a sequel game, and I guess it integrates with its predecessor, Skulk Hollow. So this is a, another game where it's an asymmetrical two-player tactical combat game. I like games like that. Um, you know, and I'm one of those people that I'll play a party game. I'll play a nice light card game. I'll play a heavy Euro. I'll play a skirmish game. 
pretty much anything will do it for me. And it's a matter of just shifting gears and playing levers and sometimes just being, okay, I want to play with this group. Next time I want to play with this group. So this game, I got both of these, by the way. I got Skulk Hollow because I never backed it or acquired that. And now that I have Maul Peak, not Maui Peak, Maul Peak, wow, I tell you, I'm embarrassed that I even put that out there. I might have to do some post-production editing on a couple of things. Um, so I have this and we'll uh, happily get that out to the table. Uh, again, it's a two-player only game. Um, so that's just not really the theme that I wanted to go with this week. I didn't really have a theme, but just seemed I got a few two-player games in for some reason. But I hear Skull Hollow was very good, and I would imagine this is going to be up in that same echelon. So that one was produced by Pencil First Games, and now in Frenchie's collection. Okay, this game I have not played. This game looks very colorful. Um, sometimes you have a, so sometimes do you have friends that say, oh, look at this game and you just go, okay, if they bought it, I'll buy it, right? I think we all probably have that to a degree. Might be a bicycle, might be a car, might be who knows, you know, or they might say, hey, I watched this show and you watch it, you know, whether you like it or not, because your friend recommended it. So this friend of mine recommended this game and I bought it and for a couple of reasons, his endorsement, because he has a lot of the same taste I do. But also it was from uh, Dr. Reiner Knizia, who is, in my opinion, as far as being prolific, the Stephen King of board games. Okay, Stephen King, not, and I'm not saying that Reiner Knizia is a horror uh, and, and, and uh, you know, in that genre, but he's probably one of the most prolific board game designers that have ever lived, as well as Stephen King, uh, comparative to George Martin anyway, or Patrick Rothfuss, uh, is the most Shoot, I'm more prolific probably than them. I've published a book or two, self-published. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, so, but he is a very prolific board game uh, designer. And so this one came out last year. And it's called Millie Fiori, M-I-L-L-E, Fiori, F-I-O-R-I. And it is produced here in the States by Schmidt Spiele. And it is a card game, industry manufacturing. It's a drafting game. And you are going to head at the beginning of each round. You're going to take a deck of five cards. You're going to choose a card from your hand. And what you're trying to do here is you're trying to produce glass. You have a glass production cycle. And you're in workshops. And then you're going to be going ahead and trying to place the tokens there. And creating the score and using pigments to create glass. And then bring everything through the residences, the townspeople, trade shops, and also the harbor to move your ship and go ahead and transport the glass. So it's a card-driven game. Looks great. Um, you know, one of the things about Ryder Knizia is he doesn't necessarily go with one type of game. So what he does in his games is he says, all right, I've done these games. Let me do something totally different. Different theme, different mechanic, different complexity level, different ways of doing things. And you can see the gamut of his games, his whole catalog. And he's got some really light games. He's got some very popular crunchy euros. And he goes across a lot of different themes and a lot of different genres. And that, to me, is somebody who's very, very talented. And he just loves what he does and cranks out a game or two on average every year. So this game is in my collection. And I will definitely be breaking this out very soon. That's probably one of the top ones in my collection. I know it's a game from 2021. Um, actually, no, it's 2021. I don't think it was widely available in the States till just recently. Um, but again, that's the thing on... BGG, all they can do is go ahead and put it out there as, uh, you know, what 
the game should project out to be released. But then again, things being what they can be, it's only a guesswork at best. And uh, But anyway, it came out for all intents and purposes 2022. More accessible now here in early 2023. Okay, we're going to take a break here in just a bit. But let me go through two more. Uh, and then uh, you guys can take a break. And French, you'll take a little one as well. So the next one that is on the list that I received, these last two, uh, I am a sucker, big time sucker for theme parks. I love theme parks. Dice theme park. Uh, Jurassic World to me is a great game. I love it. Um, I played Roller Coaster Tycoon for many, many years um, on PC, on online. So any game with a theme park uh, resonates with me. Unfair and Funfair. So Tenpenny Parks came out last year to a fair degree of success and fair degree of uh, acclaim. And this was published by Thunderworks Games here in the States. And so uh, this game here is already uh, just about 2,000, top 2,000 on BGG and a waiting, uh, rating of 7.6. And I don't even care what it does. You know, it, <laughs> I do care what it does, but it does theme parks. And this is a set collection game, generating income, combination of worker placement and tile placement. And it's in that uh, genre of some of the older school, you know, early 20th century uh, theme parks, you know, carnivals and just all the sensationalism that went around that. And those were very big events uh, throughout uh, that period, of particularly Americana. But um, again, it's a theme park related game. And so I love that. I will continue to gravitate towards those because I worked in theme parks for eight years and always enjoyed that aspect of my career. But uh, when anything gets into a game, uh, you know, a board game uh, aspect or version of that, then the Frenchie is all in in spades. So that is Tenpenny Parks. We're going to wrap up with the last game, probably the last game by Holy Grail Games, too. As you know, Holy Grail Games is shuddering. And uh, actually, some people actually were showing copies of Rallyman Dirt. And there was some speculation as to whether that was actually going to be finished producing. And somebody posted and said, well, 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 it was a surprise. So uh, that's an interesting development. So uh, this game here is probably the last published game by them besides Rally Mander, but that was an expansion. This is Caesar's Empire. Now, this one got a lot of buzz and slipped by a lot of people's radar in late 2022. And to game set in ancient Rome, obviously, Caesar's Empire. And really a route building game uh, combined with sect collection. And you are basically just trying to build roads to connect Rome to new cities across the board. And scoring points and getting city and treasure tokens uh, worth those points. Seem to be a very satisfying game for people. Uh, this game plays for uh, two to five players uh, in about an hour. And, you know, one thing that I'm seeing a little more of, besides the fact that I like route building, uh, I like something that even has even an abstract civilization style to it. One thing I really like is that games are coming out more and more with a player count that hits five people. Because a lot of the, the I would say, uh, criticism of Euro games were they were at four players. And some of them scaled well at four players. Some of them played best at four players. Some of them played better at three players. And so being able to stretch that a little bit and uh, keep the gameplay tight. I mean, you can play five players in an hour as stated here, I think is going to be an incredible feat. And I think you're going to see more designers try to do that. Uh, some people don't want to play long games. I have no problem. I could be doing a whole bunch of things for 12 hours. 
which I just did at the convention. But uh, having a game that not only can be played tight, but can also come up with an odd player count or stretch that to a five player count, I think just fits a little bit more people. It fits a few more gamers because there's been a lot of times where you'll play a game and then somebody wants to join, there's one spot open, but there's a plus one with them. Or you're already starting a sit four and somebody else wants to play and you just the game just doesn't meet that. So I really appreciate that I'm seeing more games two to five players. But again, this is a game that is for me, route building, kind of an abstract civilization with um, a Roman theme or a civilization style theme. So those are the games that Frenchie has received and the games that I'm looking forward to. And I'm going to take a break and give you all a break as well. And I'll come back a little bit with talking about uh, Dice Tower West Convention. All right, so let's talk about the Dice Tower West uh, Convention. So I uh, just came back from this. This is a convention that went from uh, March 9th to March 12th. Uh, and is held in early March every year. And uh, this is uh, a convention that uh, the Dice Tower puts on, uh, not to be confused with Dice Tower East, which is a sister convention that's held in the summer uh, every year. Uh, but this is a convention that had been going on for a few years as MeepleCon. And then they partnered up to Mativier, who runs uh, Meepleville Cafe in Las Vegas uh, and ran this con, partnered up with uh, Tom Vassell. And so uh, this has become the Dice Tower West event for the last a uh, few years, you know, COVID notwithstanding. And so this is held in Las Vegas. And uh, it's great because uh, as as with these bigger conventions, it's great to see people from, uh, you know, all over the world. Join people from Australia and Canada and uh, other places, obviously, across the states as well. And, uh, you know, it's just the draw of board game conventions and one of the first bigger ones that occurs every year. So uh, for the last few years, they've been holding this at the Rio uh, Hotel and Casino in uh, Las Vegas. And what's interesting is people who don't know that I'm a board gamer, uh, people at work or people I know, and they're like, you know, I'll tell them that, oh, I'm going to Vegas for the weekend or for the week. And they'll go, what are you doing? And I'll just say gaming. And of course, they're going to think that it's all the casino gaming. And uh, you just, you know, when you tell them, it just kind of blows their minds and they're like, what you know you don't play craps or anything i'm like well i'm chucking dice but uh no <laughs> you know it's different so uh you know so this is a game where um you know so they have the dice tower crew has assembled with with tim and tim yourself uh, a a collection of well over three thousand games that uh, they bring in and the collection for dice tower east is in excess of two thousand i believe and uh, so this is a, um, where if you go to a convention, let me kind of describe this for you and picture this. If you're listening to the podcast, give you a little theater of the mind here. Um, in the back of the Rio, you have the uh, convention center that they use for hosting conventions. And so the Dice Tower will go ahead and rent out that, that whole complex back there. And so as you go in, there's a lot of different things going on. The Primarily the left-hand side as you enter the lobby and then also down the hallway corridor that goes through the uh, extent of the convention center is uh, going to be a the main gaming hall the main gaming hall where most of the gaming takes place there's a second gaming hall that is a, that is quite large as well 
And, uh, but in the beginning part of that is usually the exhibitor hall. And that exhibitor hall is open from, I think, about 10 to uh, about maybe 5 or 6, I think. And where you'll have a lot of uh, you know, designers and publishers. And I mean, obviously, nothing like Gen Con because Gen Con is more geared towards that type of thing. This allows a lot of the different publishers, game uh, designers, maybe even some of the... Um, you know, accessories, companies that do different accessories like dice trays or 3D printed stuff to go ahead and showcase their their, wear, their wares. And uh, in that exhibitor hall, you'll see Rado. So Rado spends time there as well. And his wife, Jen, is always off to the side with, uh, she does glass creation, glass art, very beautiful stuff and everything too. So they had adjacent booths this year. A lot of people go ahead and talk to Rado, play games, and he's always a big participant in this convention and so then that is opened up into the main gaming hall where the main gaming hall is where most of the games are going to be uh, played and partaken uh, and uh, that gets the so the exhibitor hall gets closed off at the end of the day so part of the gaming uh, area kind of gets uh, closed off just because of how the rio has that constructed just the way it is but most of that happens there and then down the hallway down the main corridor uh, on the back end is another large uh, room that they have more open gaming as well. Usually a little bit brighter. Uh, the main gaming hall usually has black tablecloths. The other one has white tablecloths. And uh, depends. You know, the first one's busier, more noise. The second one's a more quieter and subdued. So it depends on the gaming experience that you want. Uh, but still, hundreds and hundreds of gamers that are there. On the left-hand side, uh, you know, you will have a lot of different things. Now, they had a hot game room this year which has been a focus the last couple of years. And so they had a lot of the hot games that were out. And some of the games, besides a couple that I'll talk to you about, that were out there were Foundations of Rome, uh, Heat, Mosaic, um, Horseless Carriage was there, which uh, I was interested in playing, but uh, we just never got to that because I wanted to see what that was about. Um, I saw interesting to me, I had heard about this. Sometimes you hear something and then you, uh, you don't think about it again until you actually see it again. So Seven Wonders Architects, uh, there was a it was a Uber Deluxe, you know, so if you played Seven Wonders Architects, it's a very uh, reduced uh, drafting style of Seven Wonders. We're actually building the, the uh, wonders there on the board and cardboard and everything. This was a 3D version where these were 3D blocks that were shaped as the different wonders and they were magnetic. So as you're stacking them, I mean, you actually stack them and they are like, you know, at least a foot and a half tall on the table and probably about you know three inches thick two or three inches thick magnetic and then you also had that cat token that first player token so you had that on a pedestal 3d made of wood as well so that was pretty cool um so a lot of the hot games that are there and so those are always set up uh and and always permanent so as as players wrap those up they basically try to set the game back up so the next players can pretty much sit down the game is already set out they may have to do just a little bit to set up for player count or whatever, read the rules, and off they go. And so those games were constantly rotated time and time again. One game that was there that I did not get a chance to play, but everyone continues to say how good it is, is Federations. Uh, it's a game that I have pre-ordered, so I expect to see that very, very soon. But uh, that was a great game that uh, everyone kept saying, and I'm like, oh, yeah, well... You know, you get into a bunch of games and you're playing with a group and you got two or three games that you want to play. So hopefully at some point very soon, I'll be able to play that. Uh, but, you know, that was uh, the hot game area. 
after that is the Dice Tower Library. So the shelves and shelves and shelves, and I think there's like 40 different uh, rolling shelves that the Dice Tower has of the library. The players can go in, check out their games, check them out for a few hours, bring them back, check them back in, and uh, you know those games get rotated out. And they have the classics there. They have some of the brand new games, and they have a lot of the different staples that you'll see. And there's pretty much going to be something for everybody. If you like a classic game, like a light card game, small card game, you want a heavy Euro, you want a big epic game, it is all there and it's ready to play and wanting to be played. Uh, one of the cool things that happens at the con, particularly in the library, is uh, they will definitely have, especially on the second to last day, you'll start to see these pieces of paper with these board game components that are put on them, basically looking for a home for the game. And so people come by and they go, oh, that belongs to Dune Imperium, or that belongs to Clinic, or that belongs to name your game and so uh, it's great for people to do that and and help out because invariably even though you're you're trying to be careful pieces fall pieces get lost sometimes they blend into the carpet so as pieces get found players are bringing them back and so it's uh, it's really nice to see that so uh yeah great library you can check out games and have a great time uh beyond that there is a um main event where they will do top 10 lists the dice tower will do shows there'll be some of the uh, other content creators that might be there doing uh, different talks, different panel discussions. So uh, that was great. Sam Healy made an appearance again this year. And uh, there was a, uh, I guess, a magic show. I didn't really pay attention to any of that this year. Last year I went because I wanted to see uh, Mick and Starla from Our Family Plays Games. Uh, so that to me was the biggest draw for me for the main event. But this year I was playing. It was all about the games this year. It was a little myopic. But uh, again, they always turn out a great crowd. Uh, continuing down there, there's a prototype room that's there. So designers, publishers that are looking to uh, develop a game can have it there, get feedback from people, and then uh, they'll meet uh, you know, and talk a little bit about how to get their game published and how to get that to final stage production. So you'll see a lot of that. And then there's a lot of other different rooms there uh, as well for many events, painting rooms. There's a room to go ahead and learn how to paint and also you know, help teach people to paint and uh, have some dedicated time to have. There was a Lord of the Rings room there that uh, games were played. So the War of the Rings, the miniatures game that has been uh, pretty popular in the last year uh, was, I think, what was that, uh, March to Osgiliath or whatever it's called. That was there. The War of the Ring card game that I talked about just a little bit ago uh, was there. And then uh, there was a War of the Ring tournament actually hosted by my friend Dan, who I played War of the Ring with quite a bit. And he had an all-weekend tournament going on, people playing, turning in their results. And so uh, that was great. Uh, so there's just a lot that usually goes on with the Dice Tower. Uh, the Dice Tower crew is always there. Uh, they don't, unfortunately for them, get to play, unfortunately for us, they don't get to play a whole lot of games because this is an event that they are actually working. Versus the Dice Tower Retreat, where that is just designed, here's the games, and we're just going to go ahead and do that in that whole uh convention i guess you could say the dice tower retreat is just a game playing um week or weekend that they do this is where there's a lot of moving parts so the dice tower crew is there they always have a little meet and greet area in the reception area in the beginning of the day so you can go ahead and see them and then you'll see tons of other content creators there as well um and so take your pick they're almost going to show up i think i saw shay parker there if i'm not mistaken i was able to play a game with uh, maggie and amy from thinker Themer, that was fun. I had mentioned that Rado was there. And there's others that are there as well. And so it's just great to actually see people in real life. And uh, 
you know, hey, they're flesh and blood and they're not just a uh, person who's pixelated on video. But great, great time. And, and again, the, the best part about going to a convention, particularly any of these, whether you go to BGG.com or PaxU or anything, really it just comes down to the board game community. And you meet friends, you connect with friends that maybe you don't see maybe but twice a year or maybe even every other every year. Um, you get to meet new friends. I met some cool friends there in Vegas who, uh, you know, hey, that's great. Now I've got friends there that I'm going to look up whenever I'm there and have some new people to play with, some people that I've played in the past as well. So it's great to just see your community and your friends and your circles grow and grow and everyone's having a good time. And there's no better way, as I hit some of the apparatus here on my desk, there's no better way for me to spend uh, a great weekend. And uh, again, it was a fantastic time for me to break away take a little bit of time to come up out of the surface, get a breath of fresh air, recharge myself for another busy couple of work weeks. But I was glad I did that. So check that out. Next one will be next March, but the next Dice Tower event will be coming up in July for Dice Towers. There's a lot of other cons that are across the country, so I encourage you to check those out. If you haven't gone to one, uh, check out a lot of videos that are on YouTube. They'll tell you about going to a con, what to expect on some different ones. Always a great time, always a lot of fun. And so that is a little bit of a recap for Dice Tower West 2023. All right, so Frenchie is going to talk to you about some of the games that I've played over the last couple of weeks. I'm gonna focus with the exception of one um, on four games that I played at Dice Tower West, uh, one that I played just a few days before that. And then I'll probably save the others for the next episode, but I want to talk to you about the ones that were highlights to me. Actually, there's six of them here. Six, okay. Um, five at the convention and one just prior to that. So I'll talk to you a little bit about these and uh, some thoughts, and uh, if you haven't played them, what you might expect. So the first one is a game, again, that I have got on pre-order, and uh, it came about, uh, again, where people were going, oh, this is a really great game. Uh, now, this game called Revive, and Revive is a game that's published by Porta Games here in the States. And it's a game about uh, coming back out of the ashes of a destroyed humanity about five millennia after uh, humans destroyed the earth. Human beings corrupt everything, don't they? Um, but that's what we have to live with. So it's a game for uh, one to four players. And it's a game in where, you know, you're playing cards, you have this board that you have where you have some slots to go ahead and grab tokens which allow you to get resources if you play a certain card. The cards come in a few varying colors and they have both a top action or resource and then they have or a resource that kind of triggers an action and then a bottom one as well. So based on where you place the card, you have two card slots on the top, two card slots on the bottom, will dictate how you play that card in the action. Now there are some cards with a different symbol on them and it allows you to maybe put a card behind the card and so you can kind of combo up uh, cards to get additional actions and resources. But this is a game set where you are actually having a kind of a hex map where you'll have some starting hexes from the center of the board that are revealed and you're going to be exploring. And as you explore, you're going to see things that get you different resources which help you move along these three concurrent and interconnected tracks on your player board because as you go through these tracks, you will be uncovering spaces for discs and different abilities, which also will allow you to get more points, which will also allow you other game effects as well. But some of them, if you unlock one, 
and you haven't moved a, a track from an adjacent track because there's three of these and they kind of spin around the board a bit, um, you can unlock one, but you can't fully access that because you gotta also unlock another one. So maybe the silver track gets you to, or gray track gets you to seven, but the other track uh, is really, you, you unlock that at, at 10 because the tracks go up to 12. So, okay, I got that. Well, I need to get the other track up to 12 in order to fully unlock that. Some of them are just a standalone. I get to space three on the green track. I unlock that. I don't need to worry about the other tracks. So there's this planning to go through that. Um, but basically, you are going ahead and exploring, sometimes paying resources to explore. If you're a certain mountain out, but you can get abilities to go ahead and uh, forego paying for food and everything as you explore. And as you're exploring, you're also trying to build buildings and populate some of the cities that show up on the board. And you continue to go on as the game goes, scoring points and also going up this track on the side, which gives you additional resources. Um, as the game progresses, you're going to be picking up these, people call them aliens, artifacts, they look like brains or whatever like that, of three different colors. But basically, there are these tokens that will also be represented on a scoring card that you have. And so based on the tokens, you'll be able to score. On each scoring card, you're going to have three columns that allow you to score points based on how, uh, how many of those tokens you acquire. Those tokens are a timing mechanism. So as those tokens are taken by players, which takes a little while to get to, but as they get taken by players, that'll be kind of a countdown. And I think there's 12 of them overall. But when you get to a certain point on the board, that other track, not the scoring track, but that other track that players are moving their tokens up, what happens is some of those start getting borne off. So it accelerates the end state of the game. So once you get to that point, you've got to really plan ahead. So those first six or seven that get borne off take a little while, but all of a sudden the game rapidly winds to a close. So you've really got to position yourself well because you don't know when you're going to get there. But when you get to that point, you've got to be set because there's probably going to be about 30 more minutes of game time to get to that point. It's going to happen in a very rap, uh, rapid time frame. Uh, really good game, game that I will hardly play again. I'm not always a big fan of that type of theme, but the theme is, uh, I appreciate what the theme does. I appreciate the art. I appreciate some of the aesthetics um, and the story and the narrative behind it. But the game to me was just a really cool game and want to play it again because there were things that I definitely felt that I could have done better. And games that have those decision spaces or how do you maximize efficiencies, there's enough random uh, randomization of the board state when you're putting out these hex tiles to uh, allow you to go ahead and have a different gameplay experience every single time. And I'm sure there's a campaign portion of the game as well that if you wanted to play, uh, you could do that. But uh, everyone was just playing the basic uh, competitive version. So great, satisfying game that I uh, really want to play again. Like I said, I have that on pre-order and was happy to play that. That was at the Hot Game Room. Uh, there at Dice Tower West that was Revive. Okay, Garfield Games. Uh, you know, they continue to impress. Uh, you know, what I like about... Okay, so for me, a game that I like quite a bit is uh, Marvel Champions. And I like it because I'm just a Marvel nut. But one of the things about Marvel Champions is they will go ahead and take, you know, Gambit and Rogue were the last two, and they'll say, okay, in the game mechanics, how would Gambit interact? How would Rhoda inter interact? How would this villain interact? And so you're always looking at kind of tweaking. You know, we have an established game here. How do we tweak it? How do we put something different in it? Garfield Games, in their first trilogy of the North Sea and the second trilogy of the West Kingdom, 
kind of did that. Now, the artwork stayed, uh, which they should have. The artwork stayed very, um, very uh, consistent with keeping the same artists they have. And so the theme of the artwork, and it just works with all the different icons and how the games look very pleasing and very fun. Um, so they took this new trilogy, which is Wayfarers of the South Tigris, and then the Scholars of the South Tigris still has just a little over a week as of the recording of this to uh, finish completing, but that'll fund on Kickstarter. Uh, probably already has funded, actually. And uh, so now they're taking this, uh, this game, some of these mechanics, some of these icons, and they're taking it to a different level. Wayfarers of the South Tigris, I have it, did not get that to the table yet, but played it at the hot game table. And this is a game that's set in the South Tigris, you know, in, in the Middle East, the arid desert here. And what you're trying to do is you are trying to explore and get cards as you typically do draft, uh, you know, get cards, pay resources to get these town folks, but also get these cards that allow you to build on a tableau your land areas which will allow you to get other resources and, and points. And then your C areas as well. So you're building out your tableau from a central tableau board, which gives you starting icons, which allow you to get resources. So you're building that out and then inserting some of the talents for cards underneath to get comboed resources based on the type of card that it needs to be played under. And the main part of the game, to me, the main part of the game, the tableau is very essential. But the main part of the game typically tends to be the center board, where although there are some action spaces, what you're doing is you're taking each worker and you're putting it on the card, not on the board, but on the card in the action space. And it allows you to go ahead and trigger the action that's on the board where that card is. Now, if somebody takes the card, they get that worker. So there's a little bit of I'm spending this worker, but I'm leaving it up for somebody to go ahead and take because I colored the worker in typical Garfield Games fashion will allow me to do different actions where maybe I can't get that worker somewhere else. Green workers will allow you to go to any of those spaces. Blue and yellow will, will probably be about half each. And so I might be able to get a card with that. Now you can put multiple workers on a card as long as they're not the same color. So that might be a windfall for somebody who could take advantage of it. Um, and then there's tokens that you're going to be getting because you have actually, let me back up a little bit. So on your player mat, you have this area where you're rolling dice. Based on the dice that you roll, you're going to be taking actions. Those actions are going to be dictated by um, what your board says. So below the numbers one through six, there's going to be certain icons. Those icons will, will match up on your cards that you are playing and will allow you to go ahead and say, okay, I have the camel icon so I can play the one and go here, but I don't have a camel icon on any of my cards, or I didn't roll it one, so I can't do any of the cards that have the camel icon. And there are gonna be tokens that you're acquiring on the board that allow your the, the dice to have, because you're putting them in kind of a polyomino style. And what you're doing is you're filling in some of the gaps in that. So if I roll a five, guess what? Instead of having two icons that I could do actions, I could probably have three or four icons that allow me to do that. And those tokens are also color-coded and will give you different abilities, different points. One of those abilities can be if I roll a four and I put a token there that has a plus die on it, that means I can make that four or five. And you can actually combo up, and I had it on the game where I actually had a plus on two, plus on three, plus on four, plus on five. So anytime I rolled a two, I could make that any number up to six, which didn't always work so much for Frenchie because I stuck myself on the main board. The main board starts off everyone starts off on one side and you are actually spending resources as you acquire them and the board is kind of this pathway where you can decide to go 
you know, one of two directions based on resources that you have, the icons that you have. And so you're like, okay, I can go here because I know next turn I'll have the icons and I can go there. But as you're going, you're picking up different uh, tokens. You're picking up maybe even some of the green workers and locking them. First person to hit a certain area or column on that board will go ahead and get that green worker, which will be you'll be able to play. And then obviously you can uh, be put on a card for somebody else to take later in the game and use that. Uh, but those icons continue to increase the amount you have. So you start off, you have no comments on your astronomy cards, which is a set of cards you have above your, your C cards. You have none of those comments. But as you build comments or get tokens, you'll have some more. Well, I got to a point where I can't spend six comments because I didn't set myself up, so I only had one other option to go. So as you progress on that track, because that allows you to get more icons and more points, what happens is that if you're not planning a few steps ahead, you can actually really pigeonhole yourself. You can get yourself caught in a dead end and going to have to spend some time to get some of these icons. So it's a really cool game. It really has taken a lot of what Garfield Games has done with the first two trilogies and said, we're going to tip this on its side, rotate it 90 degrees and flip it inside out to come up with a much different gameplay. Come up with an experience that is... Uh, going to have that same Garfield Games feel, worker placement, card, tableau building, using cards, using icons and everything. But we're going to have a different mechanism as at the core that really drives the game to its conclusion. Because once somebody gets to the end of that, that's what triggers the game in. Great game. I already believe, for me, this could be my best of all the games they've put out so far. I definitely want to play it a couple more times. But for me, I believe that this is the game that is going to be my favorite from through all of them because it just gives a little bit more complexity, a little more crunchiness, a little more decision space that's going to reward you or not based on how you play. So that is Wayfarers of the South Tigris, a fantastic game, latest offering from Garfield Games. So also played Flourish. Flourish is a game that uh, nice little card game done by Starling Games. Uh, those are the um, Starling Games did Everdell, okay? So they're definitely known by Everdell fame. So this is a game that plays, uh, you know, one to seven players. And a game where you are having a hand of cards that represent different gardens, different flowers, such as ivy, roses, orchids, and everything. And it's a... Um, Let's say a drafting game, but you're drawing cards, you have cards in your hand, you're going to be playing a card down. It's a tableau builder. You're going to be playing a card down, face down. That is your card to keep. You have a cardboard fence that is going to be between you and each player on either side of you. And you're going to take two cards from your hand. You're going to put one card on the, uh, on, on the other player. Let's say to your left, you're going to put it on their side of the fence, face down. You're going to put it on the other player onto your right, face down. You're giving them those cards. They are likewise going to be giving you their cards. And so you're going to flip up those three cards, okay? You're going to flip up your card that you were going to have in your tableau, and now you have two other cards that you're going to have for the next hand. And what you're trying to do is put together a garden that has different icons, so different flowers, some different icons, maybe a path icon, maybe a fountain icon, which gives you points. Each card is going to give you points either or, or maybe not at all, but they, if they give you points, they will give you points either at the end of that round because you're going to build three rows of three to start off with, or they're going to give you points at the end of the game. So you're balancing in on how to build that. But you also have to be mindful of the cards you're giving to your opponents. And of course, as the, your opponents are also 
building their garden and turning those cards up, you can see, and you're like, well, this person has all the mushrooms. I'm not going to give them a card that's going to have mushrooms. I'm going to put them there. One of the funniest things with, uh, with the guy who we were playing with, he was saying that there was a game where uh, you could definitely see where people were passing the same cards back and forth because no one wanted them. And they, and they did because they didn't want to give it to another player. And I think they were playing a three-player game as much as, as we were, too. And I saw a little bit of that in that game, which was kind of neat. Um, really fun game, really easy game, and just, you know, aesthetically really nice uh, game that I think anybody can play. I think it's, it would scale very, very well uh, to seven players. I don't think it would take any additional time. But uh, really fun, easy game, and a game I think most people can uh, pick up. I was not really interested, but... Uh, this guy said, hey, you've got to play this game. And I was happy that he taught it, too. And I definitely think that it could uh, use a little bit more love. So that is Flourish. All right, I'm going to talk about two more games. One of them was at the con. It was the very last game that I played at the con. And the last one will be one that I played earlier on that I have in my collection. So the last game that I played at the con was interesting how it developed, too. So... Uh, one of my friends here in Colorado, here in the States, JB, uh, we met at, uh, I believe we may have met at, if it was at, not last year's Dice Tower West, it was the, um, maybe uh, the Dice Tower Retreat. So, um, so he lives about two hours south of me, and we want to play a game. So it was Sunday, and uh, we just had, we knew we wanted to play, we had some time, so we finally had wrapped up games. We said, let's go ahead and play. I had, at, at that point in the con, I really don't, care. I just go with the flow. I don't really have, I might have one game going on a con. I got to play this, but I, this, this time I was go with the flow. He had 40 games that he wanted to play. I mean, he was, he had a list and he really wanted to uh, set this goal. Uh, so when we connected, uh, it was about um, early to mid afternoon and uh, the con doesn't close until midnight, but the library gets packed up at, at three. So we were looking at getting in a game. And he had a few games that he's like, I'm playing 40 games that I've never played before. That's what my goal is. I want to play 40 games that I've never played before. So he's trying to get through about 10 a day. Um, so we're walking around. And at that time, you know, people are leaving and people are already engrossed in games. And very few people are probably getting ready to play another game for a bit. So we're walking around. And he goes, you know what? He goes, have you ever played Crokinole? And I said, no. And he goes, I've always wanted to play that. I'm like, you know what? And he goes, he goes and, there, and there's a game in the back the back you know gaming hall so we went back there and sure enough uh somebody had their crokinole board and so we were able to play now crokinole is a, a dexterity game round circular board where you have four zones that players will go ahead and can play you know two to four players and you have zones where you have um these wooden discs and i'm sure there's versions of the game that have different style of components but basically you're taking these discs and discs and you are flicking them and really trying to get into the center circle. Now there is a depression in the center circle which scores additional points should the disc fall in there. But really the game is simple. If there are no other discs in uh, on the board, then no, none of the opponent's colored discs on the board, then what you have to do is go ahead and flip the disc and get that into the center circle. Not the depression dead center of the board, the bullseye, but in that center circle which is surrounded by pegs which can restrict or deflect your shot. If there are opponent discs on there, you have to flick it and you have to hit your opponent's uh, other disc. Whether it's you hit your disc first and then that hits your opponent's disc, 
or you hit your opponent's disc and it hits a disc or bounces off the peg and hits their disc. As long as it makes contact, as long as one of your discs makes contact to an opponent's disc, that is fine. Now, those may move the discs out of the scoring areas. They may knock them off the board. Uh, they may do different things. And so there's this battle to go ahead and do that. But you have three concentric rings, the center, the middle section, and then you have the outside section. Once everybody has flicked their discs um, and they're scoring, and if anything goes in the bullseye, it's merely borne off the board and you're just going to keep track of what those points are, then you're going to look and say, okay, this outer ring, uh, this section, uh, there is a black and a white there. Those two cancel each other out, but there's another black there, and so the black is going to score points because they did not cancel each other out. You'll do that in between each one. Uh, and it's just a fun dexterity game. I can see the popularity. I believe this is a Canadian game. And I, th I actually knew some friends who had a really nice crokinole board as well. Uh, and just one of those games that it was a great way to wrap up the con. Uh, and I turned around to JB and I said, thank you for allowing me to help you reach your goal. I just happened to be along for the ride. I think he was going to find a way uh, with or without me. But it was nice to be part of that. Uh, but really pleasing game. You know, not a game that has any deep strategy. Although, you know, for me being a pool player. And I used to play the carom board when I was young. My family had that for... Uh, years and we would spend many family nights just playing caroms, uh, you know, the rings and just kind of flicking them. There's, there's a little, you know, pool sticks, but we would just go ahead and flick them and had a good time doing that. So I had a little bit of that muscle memory still all these years later. Uh, but it was great. You know, we didn't win. We crushed the first game, but then we didn't win after that because, well, you start overthinking. It's a game of finesse. So uh, great game. And I'm glad I played that as well and uh, glad that JB was able to hit his goal. So Crokinole was the last game we played at the con. But not the last game I'm going to talk about from my last couple of weeks. That's reserved for Amsterdam or Amsterdam. I don't know why I say Amsterdam, but I'm saying Hamburg instead of Hamburg. Um, so this is a, a one of the original four uh, city collection games by Stefan Phil. This was a re-implementation of Macau, which I do not have. The horror. Believe it or not, Frenchie has an original Phil game that I do not have. I think I have two of them. So uh, this game is takes Macau and then it takes it and puts it into Amsterdam in the uh, in the Netherlands and a game in which you are collecting uh, resources and supplies to put on a barge that you're going to navigate through the canal. You have a canal track that you'll be moving ships up, but you're also going to have barge ships that you're going to be going through the different canal to get there, picking up dock workers, picking up uh, or excuse me, yeah, uh, dropping off um, different uh, goods that you're acquiring but then most of the game is going to be in a drafting part where you have these cards you're going to draft and based on those cards you're going to draft you are actually having your uh, going to be putting them on this wheel that you're going to be spinning and rotating so you're going to be putting the discs the, the cubes excuse me on that and kind of like barrage if you've ever played that but a wheel has a turn circle in which if you are picking up based on the dice roll the cubes that have uh, that are pink, and let's say pink has a die roll of five, and you're picking up five cubes, putting them on the number five. Well, you're turning the wheel counterclockwise, so the next one that is available to you is one, because any of the cubes that are on one, the next turn that does, those get bored off. The twos go to the one slot, fives go to the four slot, so you have this timing mechanism. So you're really trying to make sure that you have a um, continuous chain of cubes that are always speeding, so you can always have these actions and, and do that. Um, they also have a market board, which you're able to go ahead with tiles and do different things to get points. 
uh, but also on that market board, which is where the cards are going to be uh, lifted, where you're going to go ahead and draft them. Uh, you also have a timing mechanism because there's going to be points awarded in the first seven of the 12 rounds uh, if you do a quick delivery. Because a game is, you know, because typical Euro games take a little bit of time to uh, build up an engine where you're, you're self-perpetuating, you're getting these things, you're getting resources. Uh, the game has built in a mechanism where if you can score and deliver a good in the canal uh, in the first seven turns, you're going to get additional points, more obviously for turn one, a little bit less for turn two, and so on and so forth. So it really uh, is a really nice game. Now, I haven't played Macau, so I don't have a reference point to that. Uh, we played this, and let me tell you, I may have been a little mistaken. Uh, Bruges and Hamburg have been my number two fell game. Uh, my number one fell game, really, because I just love Bruges. Uh, you know, Castles of Burgundy, to me, is, I think, the superior game. Uh, I've had Marrakesh up there. Marrakesh has been challenging for number two. I think Amsterdam is going to get up there. It is something about it that, I don't know, you know, there's more player agency. I mean, I love Marrakesh, and I think it's high, and I keep going back and forth with it because there's some randomness. But wow, it's just Amsterdam has just really hit me. And I'm going, this could be, and time's going to tell because I need to play it again and compare with the other games and see how the other couple of games come out with Cusco and Vienna. But it's solid. It's definitely, you know, a strong showing of those trilogy. I haven't played New York City yet, which was the other one. It's a lighter one that he's offered. But my goodness, I was so happy with it. I had read the rule book prior. Had not had a chance to play, and then my friends and I were able to play that, and I'm impressed. I think it's a great game. I think of the three, it can challenge for number one of the three that he's put out. Definitely a top three or four game easily for me from that. I know a lot of people like uh, Trajan, um, you know, and some other games that uh, are, are typically classics and really good Feldian games, but Amsterdam is the real deal, and so time will tell where that's going to settle for me. But uh, that game is great. Queen Games, again, uh, great production. Uh, get the English version cards if you can, just with what the words are. But, uh, they're, you know, again, they've done a good job with all the cards there and in Hamburg, too, with the iconography and helping you understand what those are in Marrakesh with the tiles. So they did a good job with all that content and numbering everything. But gameplay was very, very, very satisfactory. And I can't wait to get that to the table again. And I'm really curious for me how these are going to end up ranking against each other because uh, there's not going to be a three-way tie at all uh, for uh, for these games. But uh, great game. So that's Amsterdam by Queen Games. And that rounds out uh, the games that Frenchie has played in the last couple weeks. And so next you hear from me, I'll be talking about a game that I played at Dice Tower West. That's Lacrimosa. So stay tuned for that. All right, so I'm going to talk about uh, one of the last games that I played at Dice Tower West, and a game that I wasn't sure I was going to like. Happy I played that, really, really like it. Uh, but before I start, it was kind of interesting. So I've got my iPad here with my notes. I've got uh, BGG here on my laptop. I've got my camera here. Uh, I've got a, another screen here so I know what I'm looking at. But because I'm self-conscious and I don't want to be looking at myself, I've got my microphone here with the Wingard in front of that so I'm blocking my face out and the rest of you are probably going I kind of wish he did that with me so um here we go okay no I'm just kidding so anyway um a little humor uh and that's just going to get me through this last segment of the podcast but um 
because I am getting tired, everybody. I am exhausted, but I'm having fun, and hopefully you are too. But anyway, speaking of fun, uh, I had a, a friend who happened, I see as I got to the Sunday at Dice Sarah West, and uh, he saw me and said, hey, I'm going to play Lacrimosa. Do you want to play? He's like, I really want to get that to the table. And I'm like, you know what? I will. Let me go ahead and do that. So I was able to uh, go ahead and sit down with him and a few people that he knows. Uh, and again, nice group that I'm starting to uh, to get to know there in Vegas. I'm really happy that I played with uh, Shane and, and Carol and Ali. And uh, Lacrimosa was a game that, you know, I love Euro games and how they uh, are starting to do a little bit more than just depict a game in a city. No offense to Amsterdam or some of the games that I talked about. Um, but, you know, they do the Euro mechanics a little differently. They pick something. You know, one of my favorite games from the prior year was Gutenberg. I like the game. I like how it flows. I, I wouldn't say it's the greatest Euro game ever, but it's taking a printing press theme and putting a Euro mechanic on and does it very well. Everything works together pretty good with whatever you can do for thematic. Uh, for thematic effect. So Lacrimosa is really about the posthumous um, time after Mozart has died in which you were taking his Lost Symphony and you're trying to go ahead and recreate that. And so what players are doing in this Euro style game is they have a uh, hand of cards. They always will have these uh, nine cards. And so what they're going to be doing is they have a player board, and the production of this game is really solid. The player board, they're able to go ahead and, and they have four slots on the top, four slots on the bottom. And each card has a dual purpose with icons on the top, icons on the bottom. And what they're able to do is play these cards that will allow them to do different things. So on the main board, which is part of uh, the central part of Europe, Austria, Vienna, London, Paris, and, and those areas there, um, there is a track on top where you're going to have this sliding card. So as cards are purchased, cards are going to slide down based on the cards. There's two style of cards based on the icon. Some will go ahead and uh, allow you to uh, get a, uh, a sonnet or you know, a sonata that you're going to have because those are ones that you can perform and get points for that. Or you can sell. That's a piece of music that you can sell. There's other cards that allow you. Uh, to acquire different resources and slot and swap them out for cards in your hand because you're always going to have nine cards. You have cards that will allow you to move across the different cities of Europe and paying resources, getting different resources, getting scoring effects if you're getting to the bigger cities with these tiles that allow you to do that, um, but also giving you some immediate effects. And those tiles tend to circle or cycle through, so you might see them a few times in the game. You also have a... Um, I would say it looks like a, a music sheet and there's going to have different tokens or different different spots on the board that have different icons that are going to be different effects because you're going to have those icons are going to be represented on the right side of your player board where you have discs that have musical notes. Throughout the game, you're going to be taking those notes and putting your color disc on that. And that's an area majority area where based on the resources you spend, you not only get a benefit for taking that disc off to play it on the uh, musical, you know, the symphony board there, I guess is to call it. Um, but you have a choice whether to put a one note or a double note on there. And if that's not musically correct, I'm tired. So, you know, treble, clef, whatever that is too. Any of you music uh, students, go for it. I stopped playing guitar when I was 12 uh, and now kind of wish I had played the drums, but uh, 
I don't know where I'm going with this. Okay, so anyway, but you're able to play these tokens there, and then based on that, now not every uh, every every symphony is going to have, or the music sheet for each one is going to have the same amount of uh, points that are available because there's going to be points for uh, the, whoever, wh whichever players have the majority. There's going to be points for whichever players have the minority. So everyone's going to be scoring points. And ties will be split to the lowest amount of points that ever play. But it's going to be if somebody has more discs on the one than anyone else, then all the one, the, the disc with the one note are going to score the higher points. All the discs with the two notes, the double note, is going to score lesser points. And then if you ha if you as a player have multiple discs of, that, of, the, of the double notes, then you're going to score those twice or three times or however. But you also have to pay the cost of a tile that is underneath because you're going to take the disc off your board. You're going to take that tile. You're going to pay the cost for that tile. That might give you a phase effect at certain phases. It might give you an immediate effect. Uh, put over, it might have an ongoing effect throughout the game. You know, cover up the space that it came from on the board. But that allows you to go ahead and place that node on there. And so that is going to be a big part of the end game scoring. But really the main mechanism is you're going to take these cards and you're going to select two. You're always going to play two. And you're going to take two cards of your nine. You're going to put one on the top, one on the bottom. Cards that get slotted on the top, you're going to go ahead and affect that type of uh, icon to move across the board, go ahead and compose a sonata or sell a sonata or do different actions. And then uh, the cards on the bottom of that slot are going to be resources that you're going to get. Now on your board, you have three resources. You have a, a black one for a picture of Mozart, uh, which will be primarily purchased for top cards. You have the red one for wagon, which is primarily the central part of the board for uh, moving around on the wagon. And then you have the bottom part of the board where you'll be placing the sonata or the symphony notes uh, there. And so that'll be with the white token. Now, these are represented by cubes. They go up to four. If you ever exceed that, you can get points uh, for that or gold, I believe. Gold, I believe. Um, but you also can get discs that are for those resources. You can get black, red, or white discs. Now, um, at the end of every phase, after everyone's played their cards, because you're going to play two cards and you're going to draw two. So you're going to start with a hand of four, play two cards, it gives you two. You're going to draw two from your deck. You're going to play two, then you draw two more, and eventually you're going to have at the last part where you play your fifth and sixth cards, uh, six cards, that means you have one card left in the deck, so you're drawing up to a hand of three, okay, because you're playing two cards. That card that is left over, you're going to keep, that's going to be your starting hand for next turn, so there's the cycling part. Uh, and as you purchase some of the cards from the board, you will be able to replace them on the bottom, so you slide out a card on the bottom, so you might actually, you know, give up a wagon because you want some of the other cards because you know the wagon cards will give you the wagon resources and so on so you're running a little bit of this risk giving up this i might be um handcuffing myself having this action but you'll be able to go ahead and maybe replenish that by doing the same thing with a different card later on so as you are going through these cards playing and doing all these things and getting action getting some points and trying to create these sonatas and and composing them and getting money or getting resources uh, and collecting money. And also you have a purse track too, which allows you, helps you with the sonatas, but also gives you, if you have a high enough ranking on that additional coin and then also uh, points at the end of the game, as well as other resources. At the end of the round, when everyone goes ahead and they refresh, what they're going to do 
because those cubes where the resources were from zero to four, those all reset to zero. And so any resources you have represented by the cubes go to zero. Any disks that you have for those resources stay. You can carry those disks over. So you really want to be cognizant of the fact that if I'm spending resources, I want to spend my cubes first because they're going to go away. And yes, after we resolve things, I'll be building up uh, those cube resources from the bottom row of my, of my board where those cards I've slotted are. But until such time, you want to spend those because you're going to lose those. You can keep those disks and use those in future rounds. So that's where the balance of that is. Uh, but this game plays really, really nice. It's one of those Euros to me that uh, um, really takes a different theme. Puts, I mean, it's a Euro game. I mean, it's about Europe, for crying out loud. But it's uh, it takes a different theme to me, a la Gutenberg. Tries to put it in a game. I think the theme and how everything works together, um, I wouldn't say it's pasted on, to be honest with you. I think it's interwoven in the game and the mechanics really, really nicely particularly that bottom where you're actually putting musical notes on the board. Now, part of the game, there's a lot of variability. Some of the tokens on the bottom uh, represent different composers, and so you have to spend uh, some, of, some of those resources to allow you to put the symphony notes there. Uh, during different player counts and different aspects of the game, you will be putting these, I don't know if they're rest icons, they're a little squiggly line. If you turn them sideways, they look like a seagull in the sky. Um, but you can go ahead and block off notes that won't be available to all the players during that game. Those are going to be blocked off. We had three at a four-player game. I believe it was three that were blocked off. So there's a lot of variability in the game. Really plays nice. Easy to teach. Great flow. The box cover is nice, too. It's great artwork. Plus, also, there's this foil part with the red on the bottom. Um, it becomes a very satisfying game and a game that I was really happy to, other than Crokinole, finish the convention off on Sunday there at Dice Tower West and was happy that uh, I was invited to play it. Glad I did. I'm probably going to be searching out a copy very, very soon. So this is a game I can take to my game group uh, here and uh, play and everyone's going to love it and or the, or the Euro gamers going to love it anyway. So and I think even some of the non Euro gamers will love it. Theme works well. Gameplay works well. Very satisfying. Uh, again, one of those games that just because it has a musical classical musical theme does not mean it's a bad game. Gutenberg, it's a printing press. It's a good game. There are games that are coming out now that their theme belies the fact that it's a good, well-designed game. Lacrimosa has that in spades. I'm going to say it's one of my top 20 for 2022, but we'll have to wait till the uh, midpoint of the year when I resuscitate that list. So uh, that's my review of Lacrimosa. I think it's a fantastic game. If you love Euro games, works very well. Uh, and it's just a, a just a really well done game from a variety of standpoints, production wise, as well as gameplay and fun. All right, friends and gamers, that's it. Frenchy est caput, and I am going to go to sleep very, very soon here after I just get the audio and video kind of short up. Uh, so that's very, very soon. But anyway, thank you for bearing with me, and I look forward to talking with you. Hey, please don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like, don't forget to share, uh, and really appreciate any comments, what I can uh, do to make this channel better for you. And, uh, you know, any things such as, hey, you're pronouncing it Maui Peak instead of Mall Peak. Appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you for pointing that out. My apologies again for um, over overlooking that. And uh, I'm going to shut up now because it's almost Betty by time. So that's it. So everyone, until next time, play nice and take care.